about it. Stir. Borag Thong Earthlets! My name is Conrad alongside my friend Fox, and this is the 19th episode of Space Spinner 2000, a podcast where two Americans try to make sense of the UK's own galaxy's greatest comic, 2000 AD, one month of progs at a time. This episode, we're covering June 1978, progs 67 through 70. This week, we near the end of Inferno, we reach the end of Death Planet, and we meet an awesome new sidekick in Judge Dredd. How's it going this week, Fox? Man, pretty great. Uh, it was a really, really good uh, month, I feel like. I, I certainly wasn't disappointed even with Death Planet. Oh, man. All right. <laughs> yeah, it's, it was super weird. I mean, like, obviously, all the Walter the Robot stuff or whatever, but... Um, <laughs> And my bottom thrill back page comics. What the uh, the uh, various comics that are cartoons for various candies and stuff from yeah, uh, British like, pe- the, like the past of British stuff. things. Yeah, <laughs> was like uh, the Rotoplane was pretty neat, but then it just like started devolving into like the weird. I, I don't know how to describe them other than just comic book ads, which yeah. is really I feel very misleading. I think that is a hateful, terrible thing to do. Oh man, you see here in a. Uh, in 2000 AD, we're missing the ones that we have that that I see sometimes on Stranger by the Dozen, where mm-hmm. it's um, the adventures of Spider-Man that are somehow all, somehow all the problems are resolved by Hostess Cupcakes. Those oh, are good stories. That's amazing. <laughs> um, Maybe I should give these a shot. But no, those are not thrills. <laughs> you can't count those. It definitely says advertisement about it. Yeah, it's fine. Anyway. <laughs> and yeah, speaking of traveling to strange new worlds, uh, Thrill One, Dan Dare. Very well done. Yeah, Dan Dare's uh, written all this month by Jack Adrian and the arts by Dave Gibbons. Nice. So, and, and we start right in, in, in the middle of things in a big, sweet space battle. <laughs> Uh, the fort, the space fort, is a is a attack is taking on a bunch of like small attack craft. Our guys by are an- Yeah, they're answering an SOS on this nearby planet, and then they were attacked by a bunch of spaceships. Yeah, by mu- by mudmen. <laughs> uh, the fight's pretty intense. Standair puts on a spacesuit and fires a laser <laughs> turret that's like open to space. Yeah, I didn't really understand what was going on but it hand waved enough that something exploded it was pretty cool um the aliens try to talk to dare and sort of explain what's going on but he destroys them (laughs) the uh the ship lands to get repairs and they find a really nice planet with like fruits on the trees and stuff and then they're greeted by yeah it gets super weird yeah by some kind of like pilgrim guy welcome to new earth (laughs) yeah it's uh it takes a really weird turn. Yeah. So Dan talks briefly to this pilgrim guy, uh, Obadiah Crow. When really suddenly, great name, by the way. Yeah. When suddenly the aliens, the Vrak, start doing like a strafing run on the planet. Uh, our buddy Pilot gets injured. Dan Dare manages to shoot down at least one of the ships with just like a rifle. And everybody makes their way to Obadiah's village, which is like a, a quaint New England village, basically. <laughs> Yeah, it is uh, picturesque. Indeed. So several members of the crew, including new crew member Gunnar Johansson, are, are set to keep watch. 
as suddenly Ob- named person. Yeah, exactly. As Obadiah tells his story, where apparently his people were crossing the sea to the New World in 1621, when their ship was captured by aliens, and then the alien ship crashed into this planet, and they sort of founded a colony here. And have not progressed since. Yeah. Suddenly a call comes out, and it looks like Gunner's been infected by a bunch of weird stuff. Oh, he's walking around drooling, being all creepy weird. Stop doing that, guy. He's all messed up with weird flower-based infestations. His mind is completely gone. What's to be done? As the uh, crew looks around, they find some freaky flowers, but that's about it. And that night, Dan Dare sleeps inside the settlement, and he has nightmares about the flowers in the forest attacking him. Yeah, they get real creepy. They get, like, tenderly creepy. Mm -hmm. Dan awakes to a scream and finds a huge death flower over his head. He manages to shoot it, but then other crewmen are being taken down by these mind-sucking death flowers. Mm-hmm. Obadiah blames them on the Vrak, who then launch an attack on the village. Vrak attack! Exterminate the worms! <laughs> they shout. Mm-hmm. Uh, as they attack, it seems like maybe the town isn't what it seems. Like maybe the houses aren't <laughs> houses, but giant anthills. But nah, never mind. Keep fighting. As the Vrak advance, they're attacked by giant worm things. It's like, where'd those guys come from? Yep, uh, they're sucking the heads off of dudes. It's super awesome. Yeah. Dan asks Obadiah what's up, like both with these worm things and the insanity flowers, and Obadiah just kind of deflects, like, oh, but what about our lovely town? Come hang out. <laughs> like, uh, what? Yeah, Dandare investigates and finds some suspicious stuff, like how all their holy books are blank, and how... <laughs> Even though the crew is responding to an SOS message, there don't seem to be any radios in the whole town. Uh, Pilot and Dan explore a bit, and they find a downed spacecraft. Uh, And like, yeah, is this the ancient one that the uh, colonists uh, flew here in in like 1621? Nope, it's way more recent than that. (laughs) And suddenly (laughs) from behind them comes Obadiah himself, and he reveals the truth that he's a crazy war monster out for blood! Oh my god, he's gonna duck off your head. Watch out, Dan Dare. Yep. And that's where we end Dan Dare for this month. It was ridiculous. It, I, like, this is what they started with, and I, it's weird for me to say that that was a really great starter, each, each of the comments. Oh, I don't think it started one of them. I think Inferno kicked off for, um, the last prog, but... Yeah, the last like, two, I think, Dan Dare's towards the end, actually. I'm really liking this new planet hopping in there. Yeah, man. This planet especially is a very fun one. Like, the ice planet last episode was kind of static and stuff, but this one's really like, there's a whole bunch of fights going on, and it's moving things real forward, and then there's sort of a mystery around these um, settler guys that's exciting Mm -hmm. to see resolved. Yeah, it's just just weird. (laughs) Like, the whole thing is set up weird. Like, why pilgrims... Like they could have done anything, but they chose pilgrims, and this and the reason why it was weird. Everything was weird. Yeah, pilgrims is such a weird is such an odd choice, especially for like a British comic. I don't even know if they like sort of like have a tradition of pilgrims there. I guess the pilgrims came from there, but yeah, like, they don't have Thanksgiving to keep pilgrims in the uh, in this in the mindset. You know what I mean? Yeah, like. It, it you could have done cowboys with the same exact hand wave. Yeah, but that's what's fun. I think is that yeah, like it, 
it's just weird and and i really appreciate it just being completely uh off the wall yeah, I mean, just a village of uh, of space pil- just a, an, an alien planet full of pilgrims would have been awesome. But yeah. then those pilgrims turned out to be like like reality warping death worms. Like ah, uh, plus one, you know. Exactly. Oh god, it was amazing. Oh yeah, it's cool and also like just kind of dark, just in terms of like oh, like maybe like these these alien guys we've been fighting and killing might actually have a point about these death worms, you know? Exactly. <laughs> Meanwhile, speaking of dark stories, thrill to mock zero. This goes so amazing. So when we last left mock zero he was being caught in a big net by this uh, daredevil cousin george yes and, you, know, you do yeah and mock zero just to remind you is just this sort of like incredible hulk kind of guy he's looking for his son tommy tommy's likely dead or who knows what who knows how long <laughs> zero's been in jail and if he'd even recognize tommy if he saw him you know exactly anyhow uh <laughs> Zero's in a net, he gets trank darted, and uh, he gets carted off by Cousin George's goons. As they do, they toss one of the homeless dudes that was friends with Zero off the side of a pier, seemingly to his death. Which, my god. Yeah, it's real rough. It's rough in the streets of London in, like, 1978, apparently. Dude already had a crutch, you know? Like, damn. So Zero wakes up chained to a wall which he um, quickly escapes from. Like, he basically just... Re- he's, like, you know, in chains around his wrists that, and the chains are sort of hooked into... are sort of latched into a wall or whatever. And he basically just rips the chain out of the brick on the wall. It's really awesome. <laughs> yeah, he has no problem doing this. Like, they've yeah. seen him do such incredible feats, and they're like, oh, we'll chain him up. Yeah, nope. so as he sort of runs through Wrecking Shop, Cousin George conf- uh, brings out, like, a kid and says that the kid is Zero's son, Tommy. But, like, even Zero starts to see through this ruse, but he's not quite smart enough to be like, I don't think that's Tommy, buddy. Yeah. So instead, he's cowed and agrees to follow Cousin George's orders. Hey, man, just in case. Yeah. Meanwhile, Gimpy, (laughs) who is the guy that got tossed off the side. Oh, this gets amazing. He manages to save himself with his cane, and he goes down to the... What, like the the wasteland abandoned building section of London? Yeah. Which, why do you have a wasteland abandoned building section of your city? I just... (sighs) I believe it. I just think it's a ridiculous thing. Where else, Conrad, would you have uh, the High Hobo Council? It's true. So, in the wasteland section of London... Kimpy goes to talk to the leader of all of, like, the vagrants, tramps, vagabonds, and homeless people of London, a trio of guys known as the Three. So bizarre. They're, like, the the leading... Like, like, Gimpy sort of says he's going to the Three directly, although apparently there's a whole series of, like, councils and lesser um, functionaries within this hierarchy of um, tramps inside (laughs) London. You can't you can't run an underground uh, homeless uh, government without a little bit of bureaucracy, man. There I mean, there are forms to fill out. God damn it! Well, I remember just years. enough Oliver Twist for this to seem possible. Like that's all yeah. I'll say. Yes, <laughs> correct. I I really hope some of them have superpowers. 
to- we'll see. So yeah. <laughs> in the next prog, um, Mike, so I should say also that uh, Mock Zero is written by Steve McManus and the arts by uh, Roman Sola in Prog 68 and then for the remainder by, Mar- by, by Mike Dory. And both of which are amazing artists. Both are really good, but like Mike Dory especially draws yeah. Mark Zero in such an awesome way. It's really like dark. Like the whole thing is like, it's less like sort of inked in and more just like the whole page is black with like lines sort of with like um, light, whiteness sort of like scratched out of it almost or something like that. Yeah, it it really like sets a tone for what's going on but also kind of adds to like depth and feel emotional situations or like close-ups on faces this is one of the the um artists that would be like featured often in invasion and uh he did a really great job there yeah, it does a really good job of creating this really, like, dark world that Mach Zero currently um, occupies. Yeah, I mean, uh, the whole Hobo Council. Well, I, I'm yeah. getting up the Hobo but Council. So, yeah, so so Gimpy goes to talk to... So he, the character's called Gimpy, I want to say. I'm not scared yeah. of that. So Gimpy goes to talk to the three, and the three agree to use their homeless information network to find out about Zero. Meanwhile, Cousin George is preparing to have a big performance, which is going to be centering around Zero. He, like, you know, addresses people from his hotel balcony, and then the show is on. He sort of arrives in by flying in like a vampire and then whipping Zero like a lion tamer. By, by the way, when he's waving to that crowd that's outside, mm-hmm. he then goes inside and yells at his manager and says how pissed off he is that there weren't enough people outside watching him eat breakfast a big sort of continuing theme of cousin george that i'm sort of having trouble finding time to really mention throughout is that every time cousin george does something he goes backstage and yells at like his manager or the or his tour producers or something like that yeah he routinely says like you aren't doing enough or even when they warn him about things he's like don't bother me with this you're terrible uh you're and he either fires people or just docks their pay for like 10 years basically yeah it's nuts (laughs) but so cousin george forces zero to play along with his um with his act under threat of damage to the fake tommy uh, Gimpy is in the crowd of the show and is outraged, and he gets kicked out and attacked by goons in the alleyway. And there's a little bit of goofing around with him and his buddy in like tuxedos and acting yeah. real weird at a fancy party. <laughs> it's true. So a bunch of uh, vagrants and bum guys come to the rescue of Gimpy. Meanwhile, <laughs> a bunch of strong men come out to do like a tug of war with Zero, and they sort of strain with all their might, and Zero just kind of stands there, and they can't budge him. But because he's not, like, you know, doing any showmanship, people yeah. start getting angry and throwing stuff at him and stuff. Um, Which, guys, they, I mean, I don't know. I'd be hey, pretty impressed if I saw that. Yeah, but Zero, on the other hand, goes full uh, Russell Crowe and, like, whips the rope around, <laughs> throwing people and being like, are you not entertained? And so oh, forth. Um, the... Uh, George then, like, pulls out his bullwhip and tames the beast and becomes a hero. Like, yay, Cousin George! Anyhow, (laughs) Uh, a business guy warns George about that, like, uh, these bums seem to be organized. (laughs) And while Cousin George is outwardly not worried, he still starts making preparations. Meanwhile, Gimpy uh, declares before the Brotherhood of Tramps that it's time for war with Cousin George. Oh, damn bum yeah. war. 
Yeah, so at the end, Gimpy manages to convince the three to call for the vagrant army to march, which is pretty awesome. No, and he's doing it in, like, this rhetoric pose. Again, uh, Mike Dory, like, it looks like this kind of bizarre holy thing yeah he's like uh, holding the shaft of light coming down on him yeah he's like holding court around like a campfire as all these other guys sort of in like you know hats and coats and looking really rough sort of watch on and other people sort of make plans and stuff it's awesome one of the vagrants um sneaker the rat <laughs> decides to, to sell his buddies out to cousin george <laughs> sneaker Fucking basic surprise you yeah goons. that's why you don't why you don't let a guy in on the big discussions whose name is Sneaker the Rat, you know? But whatever. I'm not in charge of these guys. I mean, uh, they probably have a pretty open-door policy. Seems like it, yeah. <laughs> so S- Sneaker sort of solid snakes his way through the, va- the vagrant picket line <laughs> and finally makes it to Cousin George. Oh, God. George takes the information from Sneaker and then tosses him back to the bum because oh, Sneaker that- isn't the only double dealer around in this situation. <laughs> Oh, man, it, it was a really awesome scene because he, he walks up and he's like, hey, you know, be quiet, manager guy. I'm going to hear what this guy has to say. And the homeless guy puts his hands on him like, oh, thank you. You're you're such a kind, awesome man. I've got great information. And he's just like, get the fuck off of me. Why did you touch me? Yeah, it's Cousin George is the worst. It's so cool. <laughs> he is not a good guy. So meanwhile, uh, so Zero is being held in really crappy captivity and sort of is like, they treat Zero like an animal, but Zero will have its revenge. There's meanwhile, some going on right there. <laughs> meanwhile, the vagrant army is on the move to assault the theater, one group by sewer, one by a rooftop, a third by the subway line, because the subways are now empty because it's the future and there's a hover rail in London. Jesus. Note, this story takes place, I think, in like the early 90s, and I don't think there was a hover, where, a, a hover rail in London by then. <laughs> no. <laughs> Eurostar, but that's not really like London. Uh, different. <laughs> Very different. Uh, anyway, uh, whoa. Mox Zero is real awesome, man. Like the tension of this sort of coming fight against the theater guys with the vagrant army and just yeah. like the establishment of this v- of this vagrant army thing within this like incredible hulk t- style story you know i just, was yeah i'm just not expecting any of it yeah there's a lot of really awesome moving parts going on in mock zero right now it's very cool what i find amazing is that this uh out the gate um is already like at a very good stride comparatively to to Mach 1. Because even when Mach 1 was first starting, we were getting these really good stories. Like, we enjoyed them well enough. Yeah. But it just became, like, the same thing every week. Yeah, I think it kind of shows just the general evolution of 2000 AD over the last year or so. Yeah. Or, or like, a year and a half, where uh, launch 2000 AD is mostly all, like, one-off stories and stuff. Whereas now, for all the stories, things are becoming way less sort of single-prog episodic and more sort of multi-prog, like, long stories, you know? Yeah, and, like, if they're even if they're not, like, a long-runner like um, Judge Dredd, where you're getting these longer arcs inside of a, a larger, you know, narrative, mm-hmm. um, I really feel, especially with what we're seeing kind of as we'll go through the rest of the, um, of the stories today, yeah. um, but, like... I really feel like they've got the vignette down. 
Yeah, definitely. I think they're really sort of honing the craft in that. But hey, Fox, speaking of Judge Dredd, Thrill 3, Judge Dredd. <sighs> I, um, I wasn't prepared for Cursed Earth. You tried to warn me about how amazing it was, and I've gone blind. Yeah, Cursed Earth rolls on, buddy. All the uh, all of Judge Dredd this week is but or th- this this month is by is uh, written by Pat Mills with art by Mike Mc- McMahon. You guys rock. So we start off. So there's two two basically two Judge Dredd stories this month. First up, there's vampire robots. Oh my gosh! Whoa, totally creepy. But they're apologizing. I guess yeah, they feel they, bad. They seem regretful, though they will still steal all the blood from your body and run off into the night. Yeah, and this creeps out some hillbillies because their yeah. daughter done just died. A bunch of townsfolks or- organize a mob to take down the uh, the vampire robot, the vampires. Dread sort of hanging out there, and he agrees to come with them. Yeah, because they had shown him like a bunch of like really kind hospitality, even though they yeah. had very little food. And he's like, "Oh, they're good people. I'm gonna help them out." Yeah. So the vampires live in a ruined castle, which is actually a uh, Fort Knox. Just sort of a relic of the Cursed Earth, but I'll yep. mention that this means that the path to Mega City 2 has taken them up to North Dakota and then back down to Kentucky. Uh, I mean, you got to so, get around some of the obstacles that we're going to see in this. <laughs> I guess. I'm just saying that, uh, you know. Yeah. I mean, perhaps, that's a safe path. Perhaps the creative team didn't have the greatest knowledge of American geography. <laughs> Well, that may be more than likely. (laughs) Look, they they took what they learned from Invasion and they were like, oh, this is a place like they're going on on a tour of. I mean, I'm I'm sure I do. I do exactly the same thing if I had to write a story. If I was under an extreme deadline and had to write a story in England, I just have them move around to different um, uh, English landmarks without really knowing which one was which so you know it'd be Stonehenge one day and the Cliffs of Dover the next day and Hadrian's Wall the day after that and even if that didn't make any sense like you know well, so because like if they just cut like straight across right like where would they stop it's like ah oh, we're gonna stop at yeah no, you I know, know Daisy Bates's house in Arkansas I'm just I'm not like too, I'm not mad at it I just think it's funny <laughs> like I don't know well, of course no it's amazing <laughs> like I I like to uh, I like to think that hopefully it's because maybe this place is completely treacherous. But yeah, that's a little far out of the way. But anyhow, um, so Dread Spikes and the mob uh, blast their way into the into Fort Knox. Dread uh, and uh, promptly get separated. Dread talks to the vampire bots, and it turns out that they're medical bots. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, the townsfolks have found a hidden passage to the heart of the fort where they find and try to drive a stake into the last president of the United States of America. But how does Dredd know that? It's true, Dredd does know. So he reveals his badge of office to the robots, and they stop attacking him. And with some quick action and uh, elevator shaft diving, they manage to stop the hillbillies from killing the last president, Robert L. Booth. And then we get some sweet backstory. So it seems like the there were uh, the atomic wars that sort of caused the curse the cursed earth started in 2070 and around that time the judges overthrew President Booth and in the judgment of Solomon 
as it's called. Which is awesome. Like, yeah. if that's Judge Solomon, that is a great, like, uh, uh, allegory. I think it's allegory, but parallel. Yeah, there's some neat stuff just here. Like all the all these like 2070 judges are really motley crew. Like some of them have like one of them has a beard and one of them has like a faceplate. Like they have a bunch of there's a bunch of like sort of interesting looks for these different judges. But they basically because like they can't really execute the last president of the United States and still sort of have legitimacy. I guess. Yeah. They sentence him to a hundred years in suspended animation. Which, I mean, I don't think would be that bad unless you experience the passage of time. Yeah, I mean, you know. But they always say you don't, but then you do, like in uh, Demolition Man or whatever. Oh, that's true. (laughs) So, he was, his frozen corpse, or his frozen body was put in, like, the basement of Fort Knox. And what with the Apocalypse War and stuff, apparently eventually sort of the system started to fail around Fort Knox till it was just these three medical droids snack, snap, crackle, and pop left alive. Really great, by the way. And to keep the frozen, the suspended animation body of President Booth alive, they had to start stealing blood to like, you know, give him, to like keep him going or something like that. Right. Like, they were actually fulfilling the, the thing that they were asked to do. Yeah. So... For their various crimes and stuff, Dredd sentences the three bots and President Booth to a <laughs> lifetime of hard labor in the cursed earth. Yeah, working for the hillbillies. Yeah, and so the uh, team rides off and sort of all settled. It's we'll, uh, pretty bizarre. Yeah, it's a weird thing. Like, all right, see you later, President Booth. We'll see him again in like fifteen hundred Prague. So keep him in the back of your mind as we oh, go forward. <laughs> really. Yeah. Like, That's great. Like 25, 30 years from now, we're going to re- we're going to get some more background information about this story. So He's be, just a Be aware. <laughs> does he just turn into like a That's what like I haven't oh actually my... I haven't actually read that far in the, in the um in the in the progs I just know that it's a big deal and like apparently Jeez. like Booth has a lot of uh political like the things that are interesting about Booth can be applied to our current political situation, but who knows if oh. we'll still be in that political situation by the time we get to that in the process oh, of this God. podcast. Like, let's keep in mind that like 1,500 uh, progs from now is going to be like three years, <laughs> or no, even more, a super long time from now. Good Lord. But anyhow. Oh, you're blowing my mind, Conrad. <laughs> Uh, so Dredd and the crew cross. So next up, Dredd and the crew are crossing the Mississippi, which is now a fiery lava flow on like a ferry. So this this is what I kind of meant when I said like maybe they're just moving around things because yeah. if this is the Mississippi, which they say is uh, a flame of petrol, foul-smelling pollutants, and nuclear wastes for sure, and they're going across it on a fucking ferry. Yeah, I mean, normally I'd agree that that they would have to bypass it, but you have to cross the Mississippi to get to North Dakota from the East Coast, and then you, so you mm-hmm. basically have to double-cross it to get from North Dakota to Kentucky, or to get from the East Coast to North Dakota to Kentucky. Right, right. But, I, you know, let's not n- nitpick this too much. <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, the ferry master employs a bunch of aliens to run the ferry, basically. Then they're all from, like, apparently they're all from an alien nature preserve, so they aren't, they're, like alien animals not alien people i guess yeah and why are they saying welcome to earth well i guess it was like 
a place that was like accepting like alien refugees or something like that. Uh, yeah. And, and now he's enslaved them. It's pretty terrible. He got them from like a, a ranch or something that yeah. closed up. But he says they're all dumb. Like, look at this guy who looks like kind of a kangaroo anteater hybrid. <laughs> he eats rocks. That's a dumb thing to do. How can you be smart if you eat rocks? Yeah, by the way, the uh, the really overt, these guys are definitely racist. <laughs> really played up in this. Yeah. So, Dredd disagrees, but he can't really, like, he doesn't really want to do anything to, like, he's got to deliver this vaccine so he can't, like, try to free these all these slaves and stuff. But he is going to send a contingent of judges later. Like, he makes a yeah. note of, like, I'm sending some people back here to, like, clean these people out. Right. But... Yeah. The uh, kangaroo anteater guy, Tweak is his name, <laughs> really escapes, escapes from the fairy from the fairy master and runs out to meet up with the land raider as it uh, drives through the cursed earth. And uh, then what I can only describe as well, two things. So first, what I can only describe as a Ku Klux Klan hood in in shadow form. Well, he's pursued by this gang of sweet-ass alien uh, alien catchers, led by the alien catcher general and his sleigh riders. Which, by the way, the, the horse thing, well, it's definitely a horse body, but one of them is a Tyrannosaurus head, one of them is a bird face, and the other one is just a worm with, like, a billion teeth in its mouth. All the sleigh riders are different kinds of, like, aliens and mutants and stuff. They all got, they all got horses, but they all got different kinds of horses, and they're all mm. extremely dope. Yeah, they, I want a, uh, a worm boar horse. It's cool, man. Uh, so Dread and, so Dread ri- rides out on his bike to get Tweak, and it's Dread and Tweak against a squad of alien riders with napalm throwers. That's really great. Which leads us to the final prog, where the Slayer Riders remain extremely awesome. Uh, Tweak <laughs> manages to gun several of them down by using Dread's bike gun. Mm-hmm. And Dread himself takes down the alien hunter general, who is like this deer head guy with like a military uniform. Yeah, he shoves a sword into him. Yeah, he takes him down with a sweet. He like knocks him off his horse with a sweet net move, and then takes him down with his like his with his own power sword. It's so awesome. It's a really awesome series of fights. Dread wins, but at great cost. Uh, judge Patton, one of the judges that's accompanying the vaccine and stuff, has died. As have many of the of the war robots, or they've been you know smashed or whatever. Mm-hmm. And so spikes Harvey Rotten's like all this for some dumb alien. Meanwhile, we follow Tweak where he's putting rocks on like a grave. This was so sad. Dread forces the grave to be dug up, and inside we find the corpses of several members of Tweak's race, pretty clearly like his mate and their two children. That died, yeah. Yeah, Dread quickly puts together the slave owner must have killed them because they would have been too weak to work on the line of the ferry. And so he sort of killed him and left him to rot in the um in the wilderness. He also immediately apologizes to Tweak. Yeah, Tweak apologizes, and then everybody and everybody on the uh, in the team helps refill the grave and, like you know, give, try to give Tweak's family a, a proper burial. I also want to mention um, because this kill we we should talk about. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, the the whole power sword thing uh, in one little box. Tweak reaches up with his giant hands and claws. And smashes a dude's head, and you can see the blood splatter. 
Yeah, I want to say so. Like, okay, so here's the so tweak, right? He's basically like he's like a kangaroo, <laughs> like with an anteater head, like kangaroo anteater. I want to say. Yeah. He's got giant, like a giant three fingered hands with big old claws on them. Those claws are super strong. Yes. You don't want to mess with Tweak. He will mess you up. He crushed a man's head in his hands. Yeah, it's pretty cool. And he's rock, so like, whatever. I mean, gotta be made of some tough stuff, I guess. Yeah. This was a really, really good Cursed Earth romp, man. Yeah, man. So the team continues on. Tweak's now part of the crew. Mm Mm-hmm. And, um... I instantly like him more than Walter. Oh, yeah. Um, So this part was super awesome. Like... Both the um, both the action scenes sort of attacking Fort Knox, and that you know th- the attack on Fort Knox, the backstory of the uh, of yeah. the, how the world of dread came to be the way it is, how a fusion and, bomb was used, like yeah. oh. and then just all these this awesome fight with the uh, with the sleigh riders and stuff, oh, man, top notch stuff. Yeah, it's awesome. They did not give a shit, and it only gets better. Next month in Judge Dredd, because that's when the Burger Wars start. Oh, I am so excited for our next recording. Uh, well, we aren't actually going to do it next recording. I'll, we'll get into oh, it. Oh, that's right. <laughs> oh, yeah. Speaking of, cleanser. speaking of disappointments, <laughs> non-thrills, letters, and Walter the Wobot. Uh. <laughs> uh, Walter the Ro- Walter the Robots written by Joe Collins with art by Brian Bolland. So, I mean, thank you guys for your contributions to society. But you know, so in '67 they announced that uh, the Walter one-page strips are back. Hooray! Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, they were clamored for. Apparently, I, I wish I could retroactively like break this system and just send in a bunch of letters. <laughs> so, uh, Walt, so write, uh, letter writers have problems with the overuse of the word no way in a previous issue. Another says that while 2000 AD is the best British comic, it's still way worse than American comics, which I think is kind of an interesting take. I don't know if that, I don't know how true that is. Yeah, his, um, oh, what was his, what was his complaint? It was, it was something bizarre. It was like, oh, you, you don't have continuity or something like that, or the, the same way. This is still so strange. Yeah, he just says that, like, the, uh, I think, ba- it's, you know, he's basically calling for, um, like, longer, longer, um, th- longer stories, basically. Yeah. Like, you know, fewer char- fewer stories per month, longer characters. You know, I mean, it's the big difference between American and UK comics, from what I can tell is sort of the use of anthology comics in the UK and sort of single character comics in America, you know? That oh, sort of interesting. Gives American comics a little bit more room to spread out and sort of tell a story as opposed to. I mean, um, to be honest, I love this. It's yeah. so much potato chips that I I want to eat it all. I think it definitely has its charm for sure. Oh yeah. But so uh, so so next up is uh Walt is the Walter stuff. We're back to this mad scientist story, but it seems like they're really trying to burn them off fast because. They basically just have they have like two pages this or two two pages of it this prog and then they finish it up next prog essentially. Yeah, the guy gets turned into a bear. Yeah, uh, you know, the doctor convinces 
uh, Igor to toss his teddy bear away and have his mind swapped with Walter, but it turns out that the bear was thrown into the mind brain swap helmet. So now Igor's mind has been transferred into a teddy bear. In Prague, si- in Prague 68, there's a letter from a female reader asking for more letters from female writers. Oh, Enthar gives her a talking down to. He's like, I already do that. Thank you very much. <laughs> he, he talked down some people today. The other one's like, he said 21st century come. It should be 22nd century. And he's like, uh, excuse me, actually, no. Well, he no, he Tharg agrees that Judge Dredd is a uh, oh, tw- oh. is is a twenty second century cop and like sort of apologizes for it. Oh, maybe but I maybe I misread he, that. I was he getting... could have he could have easily said that. Um, whatchamacallit, the twentieth century doesn't start until uh, twenty one hundred and one. Thank you very much. So <laughs> it's fair enough. So like whatever. Yeah. Oh God. Uh, was there anything else out of that? Um, well, the big thing in Prague 68 was they actually show the results of a bunch of the coupons that have been sent in. Oh, for yeah. What everybody's top thrills are. So their rankings, and this is sort of for like maybe two episodes ago, yeah. are uh, number one, Judge Dredd, then Dan Dare, Inferno, Mach 1, Future Shocks, Walter the Wobot, Colony Earth. I'm wow. not upset with these ratings. <laughs> Yeah, no, I'd uh, I'd say that's pretty much spot on. I do like that Walter the Wobot is like. Eh. I mean, they're. I guess they're not saying it's bad. It's certainly like. I mean, sec. I mean, six out of seven is not saying it's good. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe just the rest are better. I mean, I don't know. Yeah. Well, I think it's interesting. Um, like what you know. There was this like brief like couple months where Walter was sort of answering letters and being the face of the uh, of the company a little bit. Mm. We're gonna see in maybe four or five months when the robusters show up that they really take over that role of being robot and letter writers and stuff like that. We'll okay. see how it happens. Cool. Um, oh, they also, also they also okay. feature the um, front page of the next Prague. Yeah, they, yeah. At, at this point, it seems like they've gotten their production line set up enough that they start having like commercials for upcoming th- thrills in the pages, and the nerve center at the start of the st- of the uh, of the comic starts having like the preview cover of the next prog, which is pretty neat. Yeah, I think that's pretty smart. Um, it, yeah, it's like, hey, there's more Judge Dredd coming, and whoa, look, it's your favorite thing. <laughs> but so, um, yeah. We end the, uh, in 68, also, we finally end the uh, Walter the Wobot saga. Uh, Which did end kind of cute, you know. Yeah, the bear jumps out a window and, like, survives. The mad scientist jumps out the window after it and does not. <laughs> a uh, cu- a uh, cute little girl picks up Teddy Igor and basically everything ends happily ever after. The end. Yeah. Hooray. Yeah. Proc 69. Nice. Um, also... <laughs> Oh, not a uh, not a ton of like noteworthy letters, I guess. You know, sort I of some guy's it. number one n- number one fan. Another guy asks why the uh, pricing thing on the cover doesn't mention Mercury, Venus, and Mars like it did before, and those have been re-added. Oh, and cool. A third guy just sort of you know says just sort of says like, "Hey, I like all your recent thrills, so it's good times." Man, and. Uh... I'd like the newsflash little section. So it's like Death Planet ends in the next Prague, Sneak of the Rat in Mach Zero Part Six, 
and Ant Wars is coming closer. So is that the first time they mention Ant Wars, or I is think that... we they might have mentioned it once before. Mm. I think, or oh. no, maybe not. This is the first one, I think. And by the way, um, and this really uh, gets under my skin because I freaking hate the Sterling oh. Stamp Service. Oh wait, no, in '67 they say Ant Wars is coming up too. Ah, okay, cool. I, I thought so. I thought I remembered us talking about it prior, but um, mm-hmm. yeah. So the Sterling Stamp Service, I just want to kind of tirade about this a bit. Yeah, those like jumbled up letters, So there's we've a bunch seen of... that like two or three times now. That's, so... it's, it's Cuba, Egypt, Brazil, and Cyprus. So in these uh, nerve center things, like I'd say the bottom, like maybe quarter of the page is split into three parts, and one part sort of a news flash of what's coming up next, and then there's two commercials for stamp um, services, I guess. Like, sort of yeah. you send in, and you get, like, some free stamps and stuff, or something, you know. <sighs> it's, a, it, it's, it's two different companies that will apparently send you stamps around the world for a moderate price, you know? Mm-hmm. And all these stamp guys advertise in the form of quizzes, and yeah, so Sterling Stamp Service does it by having a word scramble of the same four countries every month. Meanwhile, next to it, there's the Universal Stamp Company that asks the same four questions every month, which is, what country puts CCCP on its stamps, which is the USSR, I know. Does Iceland issue stamps? I have no idea. Does any country that has... Um, name any country which has issued triangular stamps, and what country issues Christmas stamps? Who cares? <laughs> you can't get too angry at these stamp ads, man. They're going to be with us for a long time. <laughs> God. Uh, finally, in Prague 70, we get a letter about the uh, J- the uh, Judge Dredd vehicles. Like, apparently, the Killdozer and Land Raider are being made by Matchbox. And, and they actually include, like, the model number in the letter. Mm-hmm. It's uh, Matchbox K2001. Which... Like we looked, we we actually looked it up on the internet, and you can and, and you can find them. They're sort of out there on eBay and stuff. Mm-hmm. But it's definitely you know it's absolutely the vehicles from the Cursed Earth saga, um, and I think 2000 AD will soon have or the, you know in our timeline we'll see 2000 AD have like a contest with Matchbox to try to win like a bunch of copies of these toys. What's kind of interesting is that even though they're clearly like working together with this, the Matchbox Cars the, is is called Adventure 2000 and doesn't have any like 2080 branding. Yeah, on really like weird. Yeah, I theorize that they probably want to sell this stuff in America and they don't want to have separate packaging mm. for US and and uh, and and UK, so they just like don't worry about it. Yeah, I mean, but, Hot Wheels were huge when I was a kid. Yeah, that was but, you know, 80s, 90s. Yeah, it's pretty funny though. <laughs> I it's this this comic continues to just surprise me yeah meanwhile uh there's also letters um like sort of good and bad letters about death planet uh the anti-death planet letter is basically ooh girls and ooh girls <laughs> is not really the reason to like to dislike death planet if you ask me no and this prog also, yeah and this prog also is when we learned that um tharg likes to likes to eat uh plastic drink cups i believe Yes, which, uh, you know, when you have super hard gums, I guess, you know. He does his thing. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Anyway, 
He's an alien man, you know. But hey, uh, going back to what we were talking about previously, uh, Thrill 4, Death Planet. Death Planet written by uh, Alan Hebden with art by Lopez. So there's a fire in the camp. Oh, geez. Oh, God, and I'm Laura Varn. I'm going to run right into that fire. Uh, I'm Richard Corey. I'm going to stop you. That kid's going to die in that house if I have anything to say about it. Damn you, Richard Corey. I could have done it, but nah, secretly you'd, in my own You'd have died because you're a dumb girl, and I'm Richard Corey. Corey, in my own head, Corey's right, and I, we got to keep going. Ah, uh, Death Planet. Yeah. The there, settler... They're oh, weird, will they, won't they, that just suddenly happens, by the way, and we'll get to it, is weird. Yep. <laughs> so, with the settlement burned down, it's time to find a new place to live. The uh, We see that the settlers, the uh, or sorry, that the culprits of the settlement burning down are a bunch of no-good jerks on hoverbikes. <laughs> Goons. Yeah. They fly back to their leader, and ooh, it's a lady. Very She's pretty a, lady. Yeah, she's got uh, dark hair and sits on a throne with a pet cat. You know, she's evil because she's a brunette. Mm-hmm. Um, and cat. Yeah, the henches think Lorna is dead and the evil lady is pissed because she wanted Lorna alive. And so Nat, she has her own guy's gun down, which is, you know, par for the course for a uh, 2000 AD villain. <laughs> Pretty much. Meanwhile, the settlers are traveling through a, a, a snowstorm and the uh, third and the third section of this uh, story's love tri- triangle, Mike Herschel, <laughs> falls from his kangaroo horse mount and, seem- and seemingly is about to die in the snow. Which, by the way, is the reason that... Uh, so when I saw this, I just immediately jumped to the next one because he's the only person that I liked out of this. And I was like, <laughs> God, if they kill him, of yeah. course they would or something, you know? So uh, as Mike Herschel is dying in the snow... This tiny squirrel monster, like, licks his face, which wakes him up. It was the same ones that led them to water before. Yeah, the water and the fruit before. Mm-hmm. So, as this happens, another squirrel monster thing uh, jumps into Lorna's lap. And Getting weird. It seems like <laughs> they're able to uh, communicate psychically between <laughs> these two squirrels. They're squirrel <laughs> monster psychic walkie-talkies, Fox. <laughs> They're little weird friggin' Pikachus that you think through, and other people can hear your brain. Yeah, psychic walkie-talkie Pikachus, that's how it goes. Ah, just like... And they're extra helpful for reason. Yeah, so Lorna goes back to save Herschel while the rest of the settlers continue on their way and eventually start uh, fighting uh, amongst themselves. Corey, I'm out of here, I've gotta help Herschel. Oh, I'm Mike. I'm Mike Corey, and I'm going to continue leading these guys. Oh, jeez, this guy's trying to steal my coat. Get off me. <laughs> What's that lad over there? They ah, see a... I have a special glow rock that you can see in this cave. Yeah, Lorna has found a sweet cave that's full of glowing crystals. <laughs> Which, like, great. The uh, settlers all go in and hang out. The next day, kid goes out exploring, and the lady of black... Or the lady in black lures the kid, like, away from the settlement into the arms of a soldier guy. They put a uh, control bracelet on the kid for some reason. It's a pain bracelet, so it, like, completely floods your nervous system with ouchies and (laughs) boo-boos. Meanwhile, Herschel and Lorna narrowly avoid being seen by one of the hypercycle guys, and the lady in black continues to swear revenge on Lorna. Yeah, the kid is brought back in order to, like, lure her there, because goody-two-shoes always come after the kid. It's true. Which, hey, brilliant villainry. Yeah. 
in case in point, the bad guy's ship lands and takes Laura <laughs> hostage. Mm-hmm. She identifies the lady in black as Xena Dragornik, a uh, spaceship commander turned space pirate with a mad oh. on for Laura. Yeah, big time. And by the way, it was, uh, God, what was it? She was thrown out of the Guild of Starship Commanders. Nice. Yeah, local 57892 uh, <laughs> Apple Stop B. Oh, my God. <laughs> Oh, we fly, we fly, we fly. Yeah. So uh, apparently that glowing crystal they found are actually priceless gems. <sighs> uh, meanwhile, Corey's looking this for the missing... This is not going er- to matter very soon, by the way, which is what <laughs> really... Anyway. Yeah. So Corey's looking for the missing people. He finds one of the walkie-talkie squirrels, which apparently was also taken with Lorna onto the alien ship. And the two of them uh, quickly like explain, get, get the lowdown on what's going on. <laughs> Corey mounts a counterattack on the ship, but it's quickly subdued. Uh, Xena decides that they will make them all slaves to the crystal. He kicks a dude in the face like Mach 1. It's amazing. Yeah, but then he just gets into one of those pain bracelets slapped on him, and it's slave time. Yeah, well, you know, there's only one way to solve that problem. Yeah, well, I'll mention right here that uh, Lorna and Xena, and it's Z-E-E-N-A, I'll mention... Yeah. But the two of them talking about their shared history and the relative worth of these crystals is the second time that 2000 AD has passed the Bechdel test, which is two women talking to each other about a <laughs> subject besides a man. Um, the, uh, the first time was when Nessie and Rosa talked about kicking each other's ass. In <laughs> Anyhow... <laughs> That was the first thing that popped into my head, and then you made it a reality. I'm yeah, so happy. I mean, it was. I don't know. Like, <laughs> no, that's correct. That's feminism, right? A bunch of lady, a bunch of uh, of ladies with non-traditional bodies, uh, body shapes, kicking the crap out of each other. I don't know it's what else actually, is. I'm going to tell you right now. It is actually true. Anyhow, <laughs> this situation. I think people would be hard pressed to say that it's just it, they're talking about crystals, man. Yeah, so anyhow, all the slaves, all the uh, settlers are enslaved with these pain bracelets. They get attacked by a big pterodactyl monster, which gives Corey an idea. Oh, God, that's right. He sees a pterodactyl. And he's like, of course, the answer's obvious. He cuts off his own hand with an axe to remove the pain bracelet. Then he grabs Xena, and the two of them get eaten by the pterodactyl monster. Which, he couldn't have shoved her. He couldn't thrown her well i guess he didn't Mm-mm. have better hands. couldn't think ahead with losing all that blood from his axe hand <laughs> with xena not there to run the pain bracelets the crew guys are quickly able to take down the space pirates and now they're free of the space pirate ships they could theoretically leave but instead lorna thinks they'll just radio earth to get some more supplies and stay on the planet colonizing it the way cory would have wanted the end of death planet uh let me tell you something, because I told you at, uh, before we started that I actually there was. It's going to be hard for me to say bottom thrill. Okay. Uh, I actually enjoyed this, especially now that it's over. And this is what I'm going to tell you: mm-hmm. I'm not enjoying it because it's something good. <laughs> I am surprised that a schlock factory magazine has found a way to schlock their schlock. <laughs> what do you what What do you mean exactly? So invasion is schlock right it's action schlock like it's Mm -hmm. a guy with very little reason other than to avenge his his wife and child kills like 
hundreds Everybody? of dudes. Yeah. Yeah. Everyone. Um, this is like super dumb. It it makes no sense. There are there are just things that happen. And mm-hmm. this reminds me of movies like, say, Samurai Cop. <laughs> I can see and that. I, I want to say that Death Planet is is like a weird bad off movie. No, De- Death Planet is definitely of the thrills we've seen so far is the one that could most easily just immediately be like a Mystery Science Theater 3000 movie that a bunch of people make in their backyards. Yeah, like, a man cut all off that stuff. his hand for reason. But it's also like got weird like the the gender politics and the other stuff that's also kind of goes hand in hand with those movies as well. Well, well, what wasn't I, I? I can't recall if you mentioned this. It, it they they're while they're working like the the mines and stuff like that. Like they duke it out for a moment, like uh, it, what it seems like, mm-hmm. and then it goes to them in their heads, and and she's like, you know, damn you, you you didn't understand. Which, by the way, she says, damn you. Mm-hmm. They'd cut off that stuff before. Um, she she's like, oh, you know, I was just about to say this and and how i felt like you were this important person and helped us through this entire mess even though we're in this thing but you didn't let me because you're always talking about those blasted colonists <laughs> and then he's thinking like drock you lorna i'm trying to say something nice to you and you're a great leader but you're too stuck up to listen it's like uh, <laughs> where did this come from like, are you guys suddenly in love like what's happening it's, it's really implied i'd want to get to it just because it's in the la- it's in literally the last episode <laughs> of this story, and Death Planet's not coming back. You know. No. Oh God. Yeah. Was, like it's. I don't know. It's like dim, completely dim. It's crazy. Yeah. Yeah, you know, I'm I'm just saying that like you know, uh, Corey and and Lorna Varn. Varn's oh. love is isn't going to set the world on fire. You know. <laughs> oh no. Hey, speaking of uh, things that are on fire, Thrill 5 Inferno. I I care about how well you craft this. It's terrible. I'm like a, an awful person. <laughs> You're the best kind. That was a masterful In- transition. Inferno's written by uh, Tom Tully with art by Massimo Be- Bellardinelli. Doing his freaky, weird body dysmorphia stuff. Yeah. Yeah, all the, like, so most of this episode still more games with with Artie Gruber and the Philadelphia Freaks, and all the Freaks look really awesome. The nail head guy who's the caveman for them is, like, really just hard to look at. (laughs) Yeah, he's got, like, this head that's, like, a cylinder with, like, a hat box on top of it, basically. It's like if you took, like, a a box of Quaker Oats and put a hat box on top of it, that's this guy's head with, like eyes and ears and a mouth and like a brain in the middle <laughs> and it looks super fleshy and and yeah real it's real gross but anyhow yeah. uh, we start with cindy cindy lamont a uh, lady biker on the loose <laughs> she's scoring tons of points meanwhile gruber's on the prowl such a the, jerk yeah at the same time the transmissions between mr chubb and gruber are being picked up by lewis who and, is awesome yeah and he knows something's happening Oh, pitch. by the way, he, oh. he has a receptor, a photoreceptor unit on his, like, hand, or what did he call it? He, he, it's a makeshift aerial, is what it, he calls it. 
Yeah, it basically just looks like um, the antenna you'd put on your roof if you're in, like, the 1970s. Which I really appreciate. But, like, the handheld version, you know? Yeah. Um, so, on the pitch, Cindy harpoons Gruber, but he pulls her instead because he's got, like, insane massive strength. This is really messed up, and I really hope she recovers from this, by the way. Cindy goes flying off of her bike, and one of the <sighs> other Philly freaks rams into her by accident. The The worst thing about this whole storyline is that Gruber keeps messing up, and the freaks are just sort of bundling around trying to do their damnedest, just to like ha- play a fun game of Inferno and stuff, and then killing all these members of the uh, Hellcats, and they're so sad about it. They, they, are, they feel what have I done? super bad. <laughs> um, so but, she's rushed off, rushed off to hospital. Yeah, but Cindy gets rammed and is flown off in a hover stretcher. Meanwhile, Lewis successfully identifies uh, Dimples, the member of the uh, Philadelphia Freaks, as Gruber. Giant flies out, challenging him to an inferno fight to the death. They have a really great air fight. Yeah, so it's the Gruber and Giant showdown. They fight and wrestle in midair. Giant does okay, but eventually just Gruber's incredible strength is too much for him. Dude, his face! What happened to Gruber's face that, like, really... He just goes into full rage mode. He's, like, frothing at the mouth and getting all crazy and stuff. Well, because, like, so on the far right, where it's, like, this gnarled, like, weird, like, goop face and, and things, is that him? I think so. God, that's intense. Like... Like, he's just going super, you know, he's, like super motivated by revenge and stuff he's incredibly like i'm gonna get you giant ah, and all this, this is what stuff. i mean about bellardinelli man like god the art's so good yeah but so this prog ends with giant beaten lying on the ground as gruber rips off giant's jetpack and starts pouring all like of the fuel inside the jetpack all over giant seemingly to set him on fire it's super creepy. By the it's, way, that shot of Gruber doing that, they've used that exact same pose before, but just with something else in his hands. Well, you know, it's a, <laughs> it, is a, it is a very arresting image um, and stuff. Oh, but yeah. Actually, it's such an arresting image that uh, Fleetway, like the, the company that, you know, publishes all of, like, t- t- 2000 AD... Mm-hmm. got super pissed about the level of violence in, in this prog and Inferno specifically. Whoa, really? Like, from what I've read, like, this exact, like, prog and this part of the series almost got 2000 AD, like, canceled. What? Like, they were like, this is too much. Like, it's human-on-human violence. It's a guy with a German name dousing a black man in gasoline. <laughs> like, Okay, so while while that part I I can understand... Uh, this is nowhere near the worst. Yeah, but I guess like maybe like all the shako and flesh stuff because it was animals doing it, it was something different. You know what I mean? I'm I'm even just talking about invasion. I mean, yeah, but, yeah they're Nazis, communists. But, but I guess it's the a lot of people. I guess it's the graphicness or something like that. Yeah. But. Well, and and that's one thing that we always mention about Inferno is that uh, and and uh, Harlem Heroes is that it's so um, just very. It really does take in stride to try and feel real. Yeah. But so, this, like, between this and, like, what we're going to see in next month's progs and then July progs, where 2000 AD almost got sued for copyright infringement. <laughs> like, oh. 
like this comic is like on the bubble for the next like three months basically is my understanding Jeez. of it all right Where, like it's about to be like sort of nipped in the bud and like not go on to the 40 years of comic that it's going to be because there's just sort of a couple really controversial like storylines and stuff well, they're probably pretty glad they didn't cancel it yeah well you've you know i'd imagine so but like yeah. this this like this image this prog is really basically the beginning of the end for inferno um it'll be finished by the end of july and it ends with like a lot of like hand waving and so xyz happens off screen and then we sort of get to the end of the of the of the thrill oh man it's really interesting stuff, I think, just to sort of hear about these, you know, the backstage stuff, you know. that's what Yeah, no, it's that's mind-blowing. I had no like, idea. That's, like, what Inferno it basically is famous for, is, um, like, almost getting 2000 AD canceled. And that's why, when it ends, as opposed to a lot of these other stories, which sort of always have, like, you know, they always kind of go back to the well for a bunch of this stuff. Um, mm. There's not going to be, like, an Inferno sequel. There's no like third Harlem Heroes thing, as far as I know, or in in this continuity. There's something in like the '90s, but that doesn't count. Yeah, that's so upsetting, man. Because they like okay, so I I understand to some extent, but these are like really quality characters. Yeah, I mean, you know, that's a sort of it's them finding the line, basically, which is sort of yeah. an interesting thing in terms of the storytelling and stuff. Yeah, you got to find it at some point, I guess. Yeah. But so, continuing on, uh, Gruber stands over Giant's gas-covered body. He's about to light him on fire mm. when Lewis shows up and zaps Gruber's brain with with his his remote control thing. That's really great. Yeah, Gruber grabs the uh, Philadelphia Freaks caveman's bat and flies up to Chubb and Torso's balcony and basically beats them to death off screen. Which, awesome. It's pretty crazy, and then his his jetpack goes out of control, and he ends up flying out of the stadium into the harbor, apparently lost forever. With yeah. uh, Chubb dead, the Hellcats are basically freed, are basically cleared of any wrongdoing in their um, in like the gambling thing, which has sort of been mm-hmm. the one of the motivating parts of this whole storyline. Are the Hellcats safe from the uh, from the mob? Who knows? We'll see. I guess. Um, the final prog opens with the freaks apologizing about Gruber and everything else yeah. in their team. It's a really ridic- It's a really awesome image, just because all of the freaks are like <laughs> crying. Many of them crying literal, like just two faucets out of their eyes. Yeah, it's it's pretty comical, but I I love what uh, Clay says to them. Like it's actually a really. I mean, like yeah, they play up these like you're ugly and all this other stuff, but he's like inside of there is like a sportsman's heart. You yeah, know. it's it's true. You know, tough guy coaching pep talk. Yeah, it's just like like it's just funny seeing like in actually in both this one and in in, in Harlem Heroes like when the uh, the freak team realize it was being used they end up like being really sad about it like they just want to play you know yeah <laughs> they don't they don't appreciate being the vehicle of cy- cyborg assassins you know? well, and they're they're also you know pretty heavily discriminated against for the most part in sports seems like it yeah but so um it's like I said, the uh, the Hellcats are cleared of any wrongdoing, and everything seems good. Giant has everybody meet at his place for a celebration two days later, where it appears that Giant has built a replica droid of, Gru- of Gruber for some reason. Which, which, come on, man. It's to uh, keep him on guard, I guess, but, like, man, I would not have a replica of somebody that's killed at least, like, three of my friends in my house. Yeah. I mean, 
it and that's the thing it leads in with like the robot kind of maybe snapping and hissing and then it like walks into his room while he's sleeping and then it's next time you know yeah, everybody is sort of freaked out and leaves and then that night as giant sleeps the droid comes alive and looms over the sleeping giant next prog revenge what i'm hoping for is that it's uh like a training bot what i f- what i don't want for it to happen is like it's a murder bot <laughs> be really too convenient We'll see. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and speaking of things coming to a conclusion, Thrill 6, Future Shock. Yay, God. Real quick Future Shock this month. Just one. Uh, script by uh, Jan Garazinski, art by Casanovas. And it's just uh, this alien guy. He's coming home from a hard day's work. His wife yells at him to do all these chores. He's like, steady on, dear. I've only got three pairs of hands. Oh, he's an octopus guy. And that's it. <laughs> Future shocks. All right, but that's it for the thrills this month, Fox. Oh, gosh. What do you think? What's your top thrill of this month, uh, June 1978? Let me walk you through something here. So when I initially read like through the first por- portion of this book, or of this month, um, it was almost immediately knee-jerk going to be Mach Zero. Um, and it may still be by the end of this discussion. <laughs> um, just because of, of where it's going and how bizarre it is, I love um, a good bum army. Um, then, <laughs> I mean, like, it's really hard not to say Judge Dredd for all sorts of reasons. It was amazing. Um, Dan Dare, because... <sighs> Pilgrims and Worms, man. <laughs> but now, it like, I felt Inferno was pretty good. But now I just want to say top friggin' thrill because fuck the man. <laughs> like, don't don't fix what ain't broken, man. Like, this is, like, the least hateful comic and uh, and probably the one that, that really... I mean, it's so good. I don't know. But really, I, I'm, I'm going to tell you, it's going to be, it's gonna be uh, Mach Zero. It was amazing. Nice. I, I really enjoyed it. It's... Uh, the art is just really visually striking. The story is out the gate just that much more interesting, and I really don't... I didn't think I'd get into liking this guy, because he just yeah. seemed kind of like just a sort dumb of mindless and whatever, but yeah. The but world they built around is very interesting. Yeah, like, I, it's just this bizarre world that uh, I want to learn more about. And, uh, you know, Cousin George, I want to see him get his comeuppance. <laughs> of course. How about, how about you, man? Yeah, so for my uh, bottom thrill, man. Oh, top, top. Oh, no, sorry, for, for my top thrill, yeah. Um, you know, I've I've read maybe the first, like, thousand progs of 2000 AD and the magazines and stuff. Um, right now, and for maybe, like, the next 50 or 60 progs, it's my favorite Judge Dredd. It's, it's some of my favorite Judge Dredd stuff. Oh, man, it's really um, good. It's this. It's the Cursed Earth, and then Judge Cal, and then um, all this stuff. Um and so I think basically maybe until like 1980 in our timeline, <laughs> like it's basically Jeez. I'm going to have like Judge Dredd as my number one and everything else has to fight to get in, you know, like like Judge Dredd's going to be my default number one. Mm-hmm. And you kind of got to impress me to, 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 to break it out. And know? I don't I don't think that's unfair because it's um, it's showing its full force. It's real. You know, it's a really good time. Um 
I think if Invasion were still around, it might give it a run. I mean, I love Invasion, but you know, you gotta, you gotta be, you gotta be in the uh, in the game. You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Can't just um, retire and have us miss you forever. Well, I mean, I'll I'll mention that we're like, hold on, actually, Conrad, cut this part out while I do research for a second. Conrad, you're a sweetheart and a gentleman, and such a fabulous editor. I do my best, you know. <laughs> um, like I, I don't like to, like the most they'll try to cut out is like if we someone like coughs or something like that, or if there's really yeah. just like something that doesn't add to the show. But otherwise, I try to keep it in because it's funny. Sorry. So I will mention that um, in like 1979, like in Prague's uh, 119 mm. to 140. There's going to be Disaster 1990, which is a uh, invasion prequel. So freak out. <laughs> I believe it has Bill Savage and stuff. Okay, so, now I'm going to freak out. So, but that's still um, like a year, uh, a, a year and a half away almost. But anyhow, uh, for my top, oh, man, like the booth and the tweak stuff's all like, oh, um, I think. Hey man, if it feels right, no, it feels that right. That said, though, I think I'm going to give it to Mach Zero this month. Um, really? Just the, just the setup with the three and all this stuff, like that's it's really like dark and moody and cool. Like I feel like that that's kind of the co top for me with with Judge Dredd. Those two stories are really yeah interesting and like Mach Zero is telling things in a really weird way and creating this ridiculous world with all these uh, uh, vagrants and stuff with all these well, like, tramp armies and to and, be honest it's oh sorry please and and like it's art style is so cool and dark and stuff and meanwhile yeah. Judge Dredd is just high Judge Dredd it's or like you know like high level Judge Dredd he's just meeting and booth explosions. about the world yeah there's explosions the sleigh riders are super awesome we got tweak in here all this stuff is super great it really is like I, and the one thing I I wanted to caveat with with Mach Zero is just like it is a dark so far if like you really look at it like the action's fun and all he's not living a great time since nah. getting the boot you know Mm-mm. he's he's living a pretty bad life yeah I mean, he's just sort of wandering around like sort of piers and like trash cans and like a oil drums with fires in them basically <laughs> yeah or or chained to walls and being forced yeah. to be a slave it's true so well. okay fox what's your bottom thrill this month i mean good lord uh, it's not like i'm gonna choose any of the other good things so it's gonna be colony earth which are uh, death earth, planet geez, death planet thank <laughs> you i mean colony earth of course but um which is terrible because it's ending, and I, I expressed why I liked it. I actually think, you know, in retrospect, it's probably worth a read, if not as a palate cleanser, because it is bad, to stomach through enough to where you you get to psychic walkie-talkie Pikachus and, like, weird crystals and, and pain bracelets and a dude chopping off his, his hand. So, you know, it's the worst one. Yeah, agreed. I mean, it's really it's it is kind of really like fascinating how it changes genre and basically, and everything goes in hyperdrive and gets really ridiculous right at the end. <laughs> I mean, you just gotta fill up the pages, right? New characters coming in, like, oh no, it's about uh, fighting space pirates or something, and I don't know. <laughs> and then that's just quickly resolved. Yeah, um, so it's sort of a an interesting thing, and you know. 
this story does sort of have some historical significance as being the first like female protagonist in 2000 AD and stuff. I don't think she's the first good female protagonist. I think we're still waiting for that one, you know? Yeah. Well, and keep in mind, Colony Earth was also seventh place. Or sorry, God, I keep... Yeah, yeah, that, that's... That was from yeah, the Colony Earth was I'm seventh place in that list. I'm getting and confused because I keep mixing them up because I hate them. <laughs> and then Death Planet isn't a huge um, replacement. I th- I kind of like <sighs> the uh, the the thing that's going to replace uh, Death Planet with uh, Ant Wars. Ant Wars is racist, but man, <laughs> it's um, it's so ridiculous in that. Why why can't we get like a replacement that we enjoy? I don't understand, like. <laughs> why why can't it, it just not be those things i mean i keep you know i keep looking forward to the future it's gonna be a, i like you know i I, inv- I see a golden a golden time where we won't, where we won't have any bottom thrills <laughs> or we'll just have to say bottom thrills because like this one didn't blow my mind quite enough <laughs> and it's in like 15 progs so it's pretty good times honestly oh god man i'm but we're gonna have to. We're gonna have to move through a lot of muck to get there, Fox. I'm not <sighs> gonna lie to you. Glenn, let's it's, muck it out, man. It's like, it's like 15 progs, but it's also like maybe like seven episodes or something like that. <sighs> <laughs> Anyhow, well, I don't know if I'm ever gonna forget Walkie Talkie Pikachu's. I mean, take it with you, buddy. I mean, that's. Why we're doing these um, old ones all the way through so that, like, someday we get to, like, Prog 2000 and we're like, man, all this awesome stuff. But remember back in the day when, we, <laughs> when all we had were Pikachu walkie talkies to fill bla- us. When it was black and white and all oh. that we had for our comfort was walkie talkie Pikachus, you know. <laughs> in a cave full of special crystals. Definitely. Uh, Anyhow, I hope everybody enjoyed the show. You can find Space Spinner 2000 on iTunes, Stitcher, the Google Play Store, or on our podcast site at cradline.com. Feel free to contact us at spacespinner2000 at gmail.com or our Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter pages. On Twitter, we're spacespinner2k. On everything else, just look for spacespinner2000 and we should come up. Tune in next week. As we take a quick detour from the weekly progs to check out the 2000 AD 1978 sci-fi special. (sighs) It's a smorgasbord of familiar thrills by unfamiliar talent, magazine articles about movies and TV shows you've never heard of, and extremely busy classic comic strips. It'll be a good time. (laughs) Uh, I'm really going to hate this, aren't I? It's going to be something. Buckley's like 60 pages long. Until next time, I'm Conrad, he's Fox, and we are Space Spinner 2000. Spun Dug Birthrig!